Good morning. And praise God that we have a God that is merciful, and we have a God that is so gracious to us all. And we are blessed to be here today and to gather with family, with those who are brothers and sisters in Christ, and to commune with our Lord and our King and to proclaim his death. For it is in that death that we have life. Fellowship with God, our Father, and fellowship with Jesus Christ, the Son, and fellowship with the Holy Spirit is attainable. It is available to us. It is accessible to us. Because God wants to be your God. God wants you to be his child. God longs to walk with you, and he longs for you to walk with him. That has always been the case from the very beginning of time when God created man from the dust of the ground. Because God desires that man, man who's created in his likeness, in his image, he desires that we would share in his glory. But man's sins are a barrier. They are a barrier to that fellowship. A fellowship that is wonderful and good and overflowing with blessing. But sin robs us of that. Sin is an impediment to communing with Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear in describing to us what sin does. Sin separates. Separates a man from his God. Sin defiles. Sin corrupts. Sin does all manner of harm to those who are made in the image of God. And ultimately, sin brings forth death. But I suggest to you that sin is so much more than just breaking God's rules. Sin is so much more than just changing a relationship or violating his laws. What sin is, sin is an assault. It is an assault on God, and it is an assault on God's goodness. And so this morning, I want you to think about the idea how every time we sin, we are failing to aim for God's glory. But let's begin with this thought. And that is, everybody who is in Christ, everyone who is in fellowship with God through his Son, everyone is a child of God. As you will, you know, turn your Bibles to 1 John 3. In a moment, we're going to read from that. But go ahead and have your, you know, your Bibles marked there. And as we talk about how this fellowship or this relationship becoming God's children is all possible because of a spiritual adoption. So through Christ, we are spiritually adopted into the family of God. Believers, obedient believers, are added to God's family, to God's household. And all of this is God's plan. It is all a plan that is from the very you know, beginning of time or even before time. In Ephesians 1 verse 5, it talks about how God predestined this adoption. And so before God created, he already predestined that there would be those who would be adopted into his family, would be adopted into this fellowship through Jesus Christ. 
And so therefore, salvation's fellowship is in Jesus. And so as or when we have been adopted through Christ, we are reminded that we are God's children. I'm going to very quickly read a few verses from Romans 8. But listen up as I read, as it talks here about the same relationship of being in fellowship with God through Christ. Verse 1, it says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if we're in Christ, there is hope. In Christ, there is salvation. And then we drop down to verse 15, where it says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery. You have not received that. You have not received a spirit of slavery. That is those who are in Christ. A slavery that leads to fear again. That's not what you received in Christ. That's not what you received through Christ. But, he says, you have received a spirit adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. We are. We need to understand the magnitude of that present tense. If we're in Christ, if we receive the spirit of adoption, we are the children of God. And if children, verse 17, heirs, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. And so all of us who have been adopted through Christ, by Christ, in Christ, we are children of God. We are in fellowship with God, a God who desires us to have a relationship with him. He wants to walk with us, and he wants us to walk with him. He wants to be our God, and he wants, us, he wants, he, he wants to be our God, and he wants you and me to be his children. So with that said, now we look at our text for this morning in 1 John chapter 3, where it says, See... How great a love the Father has bestowed on us. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. That we should be called children of God and such we are. Not only are we called children, he says we are his children. For this reason, what reason? Well, the fact that you are a child of God. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. Everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. So everyone, he says, that has this hope fixed on him. What is our hope? Well, our hope is to be with God, but that's, it's more than just that. Not only is our hope to be with God, our hope is to be like God in the glories of heaven. And so he said, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on you, you are called his child, you are his child, and for this reason the world doesn't know you. He says, it's not appeared what you will be, but you know 
that when he, your father, appears, you will be like him. But you will see him just as he is. And everyone has this hope. What hope? The hope is to be with the, be your father. The hope to be like your father. To appear as he is. If that's your hope, he says, therefore you purify yourself just as he is pure. So is our hope totally set on God like it should? If our hope is fixed on God like it ought to be every day that God gives us breath, well, then we should be a kind of people who are diligent and consistent to be pure. If our hope is fixed on him, to be with him, to be like him as he is, he says, then you'll purify yourself as he is pure. Now, purity has to do with keeping yourself free from contaminants. And we understand that concept. And it's a concept that is all-encompassing. Because it has to do with you know, freeing ourselves, purifying ourselves you know, from the contaminants in our heart and in our thoughts. It involves freeing ourselves from the contaminants that are in our body. It involves us freeing ourselves from the pollutants that affect our eyes, our ears, and our lips. If our hope is fixed on God, as it ought to be, he says you will purify yourself as he is, because you want to be with God, you want to be like God, for he's your father. So this has to do with so much more than just sexual purity. Purity is not limited to that one aspect of our life. Yes, that's part of it, but that's not all that what purity is talking about. Purity is all-encompassing. It involves everything, removing all sinful desires. It involves removing pride and selfishness, you name it. That's what purifying yourself involves. And all who are in fellowship with God are children of God, and they, their hope is God, so therefore they work consistently, diligently every day for purity. Now, our success in doing that, our success in achieving this spiritual goal, partly is dependent upon us making the right choices, but also on focusing on the right endeavors. And the epistle of 1 John addresses that in a number of different ways. For example, as we have already read in 1 John chapter 1, where it says, you know, we're to walk in the light, how? As he himself is in the light. See, our hope is to be with God like God. And if that's the case, I'm going to purify myself, and I'm going to walk in the light as he is in the light. Chapter 2 says, I'm, going to, I'm to walk in the same manner as he walked. Or in chapter 2, at the end of the chapter, verse 29, he says, if you know that he's righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. And so in other words, I'm going to practice righteousness as God is righteous. Now, all of that is introduction. Now, go back to 1 John chapter 3 and look at verse 4. Sin is in opposition to this. 
Sin is in opposition to God. It is in opposition to his law. And so in the same context, as if in the same breath, in verse 3, if everyone has this hope fixed on him, he purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who practices sin, contrasting that, also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin, verse 5. And then in verse 6, no one abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. What the Apostle John does here is he teaches us in a very practical way what sin is. And the practical definition of sin is simply this. Sin is to behave or to act outside of or without law. That's what sin is. Sin is simply lawlessness. It is to conduct yourself, is to do something that you are not authorized, you're not supposed to be doing. That's the practical definition of sin. And so therefore, lawlessness is not being pure. If my hope is fixed on God, to be with him, to like him, well, then I'm impure by myself, and that means I've got to rid myself of lawlessness, whatever kind of lawlessness that is. Now, the New Testament word for sin, the New Testament word for sin literally means to miss the mark. And this is implied in 2 John verse 9, when it says, if anyone, if anyone goes too far, some version uses translates that as transgresses. If anyone goes too far or if anyone transgresses and doesn't abide in the doctrine of Christ, he does not have God. So the, the definition of the word sin is implied by that verse. It's going too far, transgressing, missing the mark. And what that further implies is this. There is a right target There is a right goal that we are to be aiming for. Sin is missing the mark. So that suggests there is a mark that you need to be aiming for. There is a target that you need to have in front of you that you are hitting every day. That that, this 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 is your target every day, and this is what you're shooting for. This is what your goal is. This is what your endeavor is, is the right mark, the right target. It's more than just avoiding the wrong one. Do I need to avoid the wrong target? Yes. But it's more than just that. I have to have the right target in view. And sin is a failure to aim for the right target. It's a failure to aim for the glory of God. For example, in in Philippians 3.14, Paul talks about his goal, what he's pressing for. And so he encourages Christians to be like him and to basically press for the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Think that he doesn't say just press for the goal. He says, I want you to press for the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's the target. That's our aim. That's our goal. That's the prize. 
That's why in James 4.17, when it says, He who knows you do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Why is not doing the right thing sinful? Why is omitting what you know to be right likewise just as sinful as doing what is wrong? It's because we missed the mark. That's why. When I leave undone what I know I'm supposed to do, when I don't obey what I know what I should obey, oh, I, you, you haven't told a lie, you haven't stolen anything, haven't murdered anybody, good. The omission of what is right is as much a sin as committing what is wrong. So what is the mark? What is the mark that we miss when we sin? Well, the answer is Romans 3.23. You know that verse. It's Romans 3.23, where he says, All have sinned, and what? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When we fall short of the glory of God, when we miss the mark, what is our, the, our mark is God's glory or the glory of God in our life. Even while in the flesh, our, our, our mark, our aim, our target, our goal is to seek and to reflect the glory of God in our daily walk in life. All men are made in the image of, his, of their creator. And as image bearers of God, our aim or our aspiration should be his glory. That should be our aim. As you go back to the definition in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, where it says you know, sin is lawlessness. And so if sin is lawlessness, then, then God's law... God's law is, is not some unreasonable list of do's and don'ts that, are, that, that make, just basically make a burden in your life. That's not what God's law is. God's law is not this heavy burden of do's and don'ts. And, oh, it's such a wearisome you know, chore to try to serve God and try to love God, try to do what God you know, wants me to do. But rather, the law of God is loving instruction to reveal the path to glory. That's what God's law is all about. God's law is, is a road map. It's a life map to direct our steps so that we know what glory is. So we know where glory, we know where glory is. For example, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, it says, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. You know, we know that. But then notice what it then says. And his commandments are not burdensome. To the one who loves God, to the one whose aim is God's glory, he recognizes the commandments are not burdensome because he knows those commandments are for his good. It is for his benefit. It is to direct his steps in the path of glory to glory. And so you think about that concept. That the revelation of the mind of God, that the revelation of the will of God found in the Holy Scriptures is a reflection of God's glory. And so, for example, in Romans you know, 
7.12 or 1 Timothy you know, 1.8 talks about how all of his commandments, all of the teaching are holy, righteous, and good. Why is that? Because it is, it is a reflection of God. It is the revelation of his mind and his heart. And so it is instruction. It is, yes, doctrine and teaching and commandments and ordinances that are not to you know, be a burden to our life, but rather to be a light to our footsteps. To show us what glory is and where glory can be found. And so therefore, sin is an assault. It's an assault on God. It is an assault on God's nature. It is an assault on his word. It is even an assault on his blessings. Think about all the blessings that mankind in general receives every day that God keeps this universe running. And life is sustained. And what does mankind do? They commit sin. And it becomes an assault against even the blessings that they take for granted of. So sin is not, you know, God. It is what God is not. That's what sin is. And you think about, you look at the life of Jesus and how Jesus, for example, in Hebrews 1.3, we are told Jesus is the radiance of his Father's glory and the exact representation of his nature. So while Jesus was on earth in the flesh, when the Word took on flesh and dwelt among men, in John 1.4, what are we told? Well, we're told in 1.14, we're told that men who saw Jesus, what did they see? They saw glory. That's what they saw. When they saw Jesus walking in front of them, what they were seeing, they were seeing glory from the Father, a glory that is full of grace and truth. Jesus was the reflection of his Father. Jesus was the exact representation of his Father. He was glory on earth. That's what he was. And so while he lived as a man, what are we told about his character? We're told about the character of Jesus while on earth. That he lived his entire life without sin. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it talks about the priesthood of Christ and how he is a priest who understands us because he has walked in our shoes, he's walked in our footsteps. And so he says, therefore, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Chapter 7 describes him as one who was innocent, undefiled, pure. Jesus is the radiance of his Father. He was glory in the flesh, and he lived a life without sin. He never lost focus. 
of what his aim was all about. His aim was glory. And he did not fail his mission. As we read already in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, here you find one who said that you know, you know, never was there ever seen in his words, any time he spoke, there was never any sign, any inkling of any kind of deceit in what he said. There's no guile on his lips. And we're told in James that the easiest way to sin is with our lips. Jesus hit the target. He aimed for his father, and he never missed. But what we need to understand is we've missed the mark from time to time. We've missed the target. You know, there are moments in life that we have, we have failed to express the glory of God in the things that we do and say. And so we know what we understand is sin is everything divine glory is not. Instead, what is sin? sin? Sin is a reflection of the spirit of disobedience. A kind of disobedience that emanates from one who described as the prince of the power of air, the one who said to be the father lies. Who's that? Well, that's Satan. That's the devil. That's what, that's what sin is. Sin is is everything divine glory is not. So I want to very quickly look at some sin and see how it is or how it is missing the mark. All sin misses the mark. All sin is a failure to aim for divine glory, to aim for God's glory. And so whether it's something small or big in our estimation, anytime we sin, we fall short of the glory of God that's intended to be seen in us every day. Take, for example, sexual immorality. All sexual immorality, whether you're talking about fornication or adultery or homosexuality, it doesn't matter what it is, all sexual immorality takes God's sanctuary, takes the dwelling place of God, and joins it dishonorably in spiritual prostitution. That's what sexual morality is all about. Taking what was created to be a dwelling place for God, taking that and desecrating what God made. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 13 says, The body is not for immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. Verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. And then you drop down to verse 18. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? Sexual immorality of every kind is a failure to aim for God's glory. 
God intends for his glory to be manifested even in our physical bodies. And when we sin sexually in an immoral way, we've desecrated a sanctuary of God. Take the sin of covetousness. Well, what is covetousness? Well, covetousness is simply greedily desiring, greedily reaching for what is not rightfully ours to have. That's what covetousness is. We can covet objects. We can covet people. We can even covet achievements. You name it. We can covet anything and everything. To greedily desire and reach for something that is not rightfully ours to have. And in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, it is said to be what? It is said to be idolatry. That covetousness is idolatry. When we covet anything or anyone, no matter what it is, when we covet that, what we're doing is we're putting our man-made God before the true one. We're desiring what we should not desire. We should be desiring God. But no, we start desiring something that is not right for ours to desire or to have. And so it is, we, we create this God in our life. It doesn't have to be some statue that you put in front of you. It can be anything. And then what, what do we do with that thing that becomes so important to us? Well, then we start bowing to it. Whatever we fashion in our heart, whatever we fashion in our life, and make a God to us, because that's what's most important to us now. And then we start bowing to it in the things that we, we do. God says covetousness is idolatry. It's a failure to aim for the glory of God. Take your speech. Unwholesome and filthy speech is not fitting, and we know that. But why? Why is it not fitting? Well, it's not fitting because our Creator made our tongues or made our mouths, our lips. He made it for good, for good things. He made it for building up one another. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, it says... Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Drop down to verse 5, chapter 5, verse, verse 4. You know, there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. And so... Anytime that we are speaking in a way that we ought not to be talking, we're not doing something that's fitting. Why? Why is that not fitting? When I say something bad or evil or, or, or dirty or, or maybe I'm, I'm saying it to somebody or maybe I'm saying it about somebody, what James reminds us is that when I do this, not only am I saying something I shouldn't say, but also I'm committing an affront against God. I am committing an affront against God because every soul, every soul bears the likeness of him. Now that's powerful. 
It says, consider the magnitude of the sins of speech. You know, when we are speaking in a manner that we ought not to speak, that's not fitting as image bearers of the Creator. And we are told here in James chapter 3, verse 8, no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless, restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. To on the one hand praise God and with the same mouth turn around and say something unfitting, whatever it is. You know, whether it's a curse word or it's using God's name in vain or whether it's a bad joke, you know, about things you should not be joking. It doesn't matter what it is. It's not fitting. And it's a front against God because every soul is made in his image. Would you say that to God's face? No, you wouldn't. And God says, therefore, you shouldn't say to anybody else as well. Because they're made in my image. Last uh, couple examples here. He just talks about Darkness, the deeds of darkness. And what it does in Ephesians chapter 5 is basically remind us you cannot participate in the deeds of darkness and still be an imitator of God. In Ephesians 5 verse 1 starts off with the, the, the admonition, with the, the exhortation calling us be imitators of God. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and such you are. If, if you have been adopted by Christ into Christ, you are a child of God. He says, okay, so imitate your father. Walk as your father walks. Walk with your father. But then we're in the same chapter as Paul is exhorting these saints then and saints today to be imitating, uh, imitators of their God and Father. He says then in verse 11, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. You know, we, we can't participate in the dark and at the same time be an imitator of light. The two just don't go together. So every time we sin, we miss the mark. We take our eyes off of God... We take our eyes off of God's glory, and then what we do is we start aiming for the wrong thing. Whether it's the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it doesn't matter what sin it is, big or small, anytime we sin, we miss the mark. We are aiming for the wrong thing. And that's, that's true with all kinds of sins, sins that sometimes we would just lump maybe sins of the heart, kind of maybe secret sins, sins like enmity and jealousy, disputes, grudges, unforgiveness, factions, even those, those are sins as well, as all these others are. And when we sin, we fail to miss the mark. Glory is our mark. And Jesus has exemplified to us that in the flesh, we can and are to be glorifying God. 
And God has provided the way we can do that. Last example here is simply from the religious standpoint, and that is, you know, men fail to aim for the glory of God also when they start inserting their own doctrines, their own teachings, their own traditions in place of what God has told us or what God has shown us to do in his scriptures. In Matthew is a very familiar you know, text there in Matthew 7 and Matthew you know, you know, 15 as well, where it talks there, in, on, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount about those who are being told that they're going to be separated from God eternally because you know, they you know, had practiced lawlessness, and yet they are people who have been very religious. In verse 22, he says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, in your name perform many miracles. Here are people who have lived devout lives for God, it seems to me. But the judgment is, I never knew you. Depart from me. Depart from me. Why? Because you practice lawlessness. You miss the mark. You're aiming for the wrong thing. And then it happens today. In, in, in Matthew 15, it talks about the vain religion of the Pharisees. You know, and how they basically replace God's commandments with their traditions. People of faith can be very devout people. People of faith can be very religious people. And they can still fail to aim for God's glory. Why? Because they put their thoughts or they put their desires above God's will. So what is sin? Well, sin is violation of God's law. But sin is also falling short of the glory of God. And every time we sin, that's what's happening. It's not just, okay, I, I violated a regulation over here. Here's, a, here's a, a list of codified things, you know, that we're, I'm supposed to do and not do. Okay, I, 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 I disobeyed this regulation. It's more than just that. It's not glorifying God. It's not using your life in the way that God has called to for you to use it. It's a failure to keep our hearts and our minds and even the, our bodies on the path of glory. And that's what God wants to be seen in you. He wants you to reflect his glory every day so others can see his glory living in you. But the reality is that none of us do that perfectly. And it's for that reason God offers all of us who have fallen from his glory an opportunity to be reconciled, an opportunity to be restored to our true purpose. That's what the gospel is all about. The gospel is all about, yes, convicting, of our, convicting us of our sins, but in turn then showing us how to return to glory. What God created is good. It is good. And in each one of us, when we enter this life, and God breathed life into us, and we were delivered, and here we began life as a child, an infant, a babe, and, it, and there is goodness there. It's a glorious thing. But along the way, each one of us, we reach a time of maturity, 
you know, independence. And what do we do? We believe the lies of Satan and we fall short of glory. And God wants us to be restored to that. God wants us to, to rejoice in glory. And we can. And we can because of Jesus. There's no greater love than the love that is communicated to us through Jesus Christ. And you believe that he is the Son of God. And you believe that with all your heart. And you've not obeyed the gospel. And we want to encourage you to consider the reality of what it means to be outside of Christ. To be not in God's family. To be separated from God without hope. But that can be changed if you'll believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God. Confess that faith with your mouth before others. Repent of your sins and be baptized in Christ. If you're ready to make that decision and make, you know, you know, make that change in your life, we would encourage you to do that. And we're ready to help you to do that. So you can begin your walk in glory. To glory. So you can be eternally with the one of perfect glory. If you're a Christian and there is something in your life that you're struggling with and we can help you with that, we encourage you to let us know one way or another. And if, if there is sin in your life that you need to confess publicly and you need our prayers at this time, we invite you as well. Whatever your spiritual need may be, please come now before we stand and sing.